Hello and welcome along to the On The Whistle podcast. I'm your host, Zane Nabi. And today, boy, oh boy, we can't wait to get the bry started. But before we do that, we have to talk about a few nights ago when we were in London with the creme de la creme of African football at the Best of Africa Awards at the Londoner Hotel, right in Leicester Square. People who earn way too much, have way too much status than me, were all there. And it's all thanks to one of our co-hosts, Francis Nkwain, the dapper, the man who's always urbane, educated, philosopher, organizes this event. Francis, what an event. Alistair and I were there. Hi, Ali. Good to see you. You were working the mix zone with your interviews. But Francis, that night was about the spirit of Ubuntu. I am because we are. And I just want to say, amazing that you had the likes of Fatma Samora, FIFA Secretary General. Uh, you had the likes of um, uh, Mikel Antonio, uh, Mama Berna, Berna Boy's mom, who was there giving the keynote speech. I mean, so many highlights. Uh, Sir Mo Farah was there. For you, what was your takeaway for that night? Because this is your 11th year of running that. How did you find it? Uh, thank you, Zane. That was nice. I think the highlight of the night was seeing the family together. So I saw Alistair, I saw yourself, I saw Courtney. We even got to take pictures. So that's a rarity. Uh, but all in all, to be serious, it was truly humbling. Um, the spirit of Ubuntu, like you rightly said, is what informs everything we do. And it was just nice to see that sense of togetherness, the willingness from everybody who was present to take a shower, put on some glad rags, look good, smile, chat with everybody. It was really, really nice. It was like being at your house and everybody was <laughs> a, a little nicer than Zane's house, I've got to say. <laughs> Just a little bit. Because one of my anecdotes from the night, and there were so many, right, like, is you have Paul Bogba's brother and agent who are at this event quietly in the room. Um, you've got Kurt Zuma who comes late um, after other commitments. You've got, you know, um, uh, Wisa from Brentford who played that day but came out there to support um, Peli Radakampanza who won his award because they both play for the DRC. And I was just like amazed at the brotherhood in the room. And it's not something I haven't seen before, but... Ali, you've been there too. I mean, what, what was standing out for you? You were doing some of the interviews on the night. Nah, it was good. I got to have a sit down with, with Pelly and uh, I, I got to put him in the hot seat by asking him, would he rather win the Premier League with Luton or, or win the AFCON coming up uh, the AFCON. with the DRC? Well, I, I'll tell you, he spent about two minutes umming and eyeing before he, <laughs> before he actually went with Luton. So I know. So I told him, I told him I'm going to be there in Cote d'Ivoire and I'll be asking him whilst he's in camp with his, with his Congolese, Congolese colleagues and I'll ask him the same question and see, see how he responds. Um, but no, it was a great night. It was so much fun. Always great to kind of meet so many amazing people, be inspired again, like, you know, seeing Pierre company, uh, Vincent's yeah. dad speaking a very, a very wise, very funny man. Um, I think he could do it, do a job on the side of a, of a Premier League pitch, no doubt. Um, but yeah, no, it was wonderful. And, and yeah, like Francis said, very rare. We ever are all together and even rare that we all actually get a photo. So I think maybe that was the best part. <laughs> <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Well, listen, we've made our guest the amazing Brad Ross, wait this long. Brad, welcome to the pod. You are the VP of Sports and Entertainment and Marketing and Partnerships at the Coca-Cola Company. We're talking to you today from Atlanta, and today's show is brought to you by Coca-Cola. <laughs> Look at that. 
I told you. I told you. I've got to make sure like I'm well fueled up, you know. I love it. Well, good, good to see you, Zane and team. And uh, clearly, I missed out on a good event earlier this week. It sounds like it was quite a jaw. Well, well, listen, it was a party and a half. And the last time I left, I was looking for a friend of mine who'd won an award, Mr. Darren Lewis from uh, the Daily Mirror and CNN. So I found his award and left Francis dancing um, with um, about five other ladies on the dance floor. So it looked like it was starting to be a real fun event. Um, and, uh, you know, the after party is always the fun stuff. Oh, and Kano the rapper. I saw Kano the rapper. So if you like grime and rap and Top Boy, he was in the house too. Um, but Brad, listen, we're, we're so happy you're on the pod. Uh, like me, you're a South African, and I have to take a lot of nonsense from these guys sometimes because we know we're the greatest nation on the continent, mm. the best rugby players, the best <clears throat> cricketers, sometimes the best football team. <clears throat> <in> the <past>. <laughs> <laughs> um, We've got to go back to 96 for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, when Francis was younger. Uh, uh, when I wasn't even born, that's, that's when South Africa were good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing shade. I'm throwing shade. I'm throwing shade. Um, but we do, we do have the best food, though, and that's that's for sure. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. No doubt. But but Brad, I have to ask you because um, I know that you were you're in Atlanta now and you've been there for a number of years. But there was a period when you were looking after things for Coca Cola in South Africa, um, and the 2010 World Cup for me is like one of my highlights. And when I was trying to think of like my favorite memories. Uh, I was in Durban predominantly for it. I remember the Dutch when they came in and the Oranje army stormed up and down with their, you know, they'd walk in mass and sing their songs and they were amazing. I remember some Piwe Shabalala's goal that lit of Soccer City and was a fantastic way to start the tournament. Um, and I remember also the fan parks and how Kanan's Raise Your Flag um, song became, I would say, the unofficial anthem of that tournament in many ways. Um, I'm not knocking Waka Waka, but I guess I am because it was just so much better. And whenever that song bled out and when I still hear it today, like I just feel nostalgic. I feel nationalism. I feel pride. Um, and it just tees up a whole bunch of emotions. But if I was to ask you what some of your favorite memories of the tournament were, what would you say? Yeah, it was an incredible time, Zane. Um, I was super fortunate to to be working for Coca-Cola, obviously at the time. And to be working on football, which is something that's a real passion to me, both in the career side, but on the personal side too. And then to do, be doing it during the FIFA World Cup in my home country, it was like the trifecta. It all came together beautifully. And so having had the opportunity to really represent South Africa and Africa, because when we put the campaign together, we worked very closely with our global team at the time, but we worked together and we were bringing the local insights, right? So a couple of things that we, we did when we built up to 2010 was this wasn't about South Africa. This was Africa's World Cup. That was very clear. Um, so we needed to make it feel like that, you know? So from even having Kanon, who was living in Canada at the time, but from Somalia originally, having him as the voice of the campaign for us was a no-brainer. Uh, the words behind the anthem and what we did with the remix was exactly what you relayed here. Um, so many memories, right? I think I think going to that opening match uh, when Bafana played against Mexico and scoring that very first goal that Simpiwe scored. I was actually in Qatar with Simpiwe at the end of last year, and we were reminiscing together uh, what it felt like for him, not just for him, but for the whole nation and, and the whole continent, to be honest. Uh, it was incredible. So, so that was a major uh, milestone for us. I think the smoothness at which the FIFA World Cup rolled out 
despite so many pundits before or cynics before saying you're never going to get it right and Africa's not ready to host. It's one of the best FIFA World Cups ever hosted, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, mm -hmm. that that was proven. The hospitality, the Ubuntu uh, mm -hmm. that was, was rife during the time, the Gears, the spirit, the vibe, mm -hmm. the patriotism. I mean, just seeing the nation come together again um, was just something incredible. And I think, you know, Madiba said it in 95 during the Rugby World Cup. Those of us that were fortunate enough to see that, we saw how sport has the passion to unite and the ability to unite like nothing else. Uh, and we saw it again in 2010. I think the country was galvanized. It was one and it was beautiful to see. And then when Bafana went out, um, you know, following Ghana then, Bagana Bagana, uh, that was amazing, you know, and then following, <laughs> following them as our adopted African brothers uh, yeah. to hopefully make it as far as they could. It just showed again what, what the continent's about and, and the spirit of the game. And I think it manifested itself beautifully on so many levels during 2010. And so it's a, it's a real highlight for me professionally, personally. It's just one of those times that was amazing. Yeah, and, and one of the goals of our pod is to be Pan-African, right? So um, I remember great events being staged in Russia and Brazil before that. And the vibrant World Cups, if you ever have the privilege of going out, are fantastic. I sadly miss Qatar. But just like we got behind Ghana, I think a lot of us on the continent got behind Morocco. And I know, Francis, you've been to a lot of these events, um, hobnobbing in the suites where they might or might not serve alcohol. I don't know. Um, but um, when you look at South Africa and that World Cup, what were some of your takeaways? Like Brad was saying, this was Africa's World Cup. Oh, it was, you know, and I, I love the way you just described it, because for those of us who are looking from the outside in, and outside here, I mean, when we were carrying national flags, uh, I'm a Cameroonian and Cameroon was participating in the World Cup. But I remember even Puma doing this thing about the Africa kit, where they all had this third kit. Uh, it was like brown with like the like a, a sky blue top with the horizon in between the two fading into the, the shorts. And they did a... a a reveal or something here in London. I remember going down there with Eto and uh, Asamoah Gyan, like a, a whole bunch of, of African players. And it was truly, truly, you had Aaron McQuena. I remember really clearly, like he was leading that effort. And maybe, I think it was like the week before the World Cup or, or the month before, he got the key of the city of London. And I attended that event with him and he kept saying this thing to me that, we were really proud of South Africa, but this is Africa's time. And there were, really was this true spirit of, we're not doing this just for our country. We're doing it for our continent. And we are all a part of its success. And there was such pushback in the press, like like Brad was talking about, like such negative stuff around, oh, the crime rate in Joburg, and oh, would you really want to travel out there? Uh, there are carjackings, there's this. And there was a whole group of us who were still so intent on going. And people felt so welcomed. People felt so proud. And like you rightly said, and it, this happens time and time again, you know, I think we have a unique position as a continent where we're probably the only continent where our nation might get kicked out, but we are quick to turn our support to another nation that comes from our geography. And we saw that again in the most recent World Cup with Morocco 
you know, again, a Cameroon came and under-delivered. But we're, we're very used to that now. And we turn to the next. We go, who's better? Who's better than us? But that spirit, I think, is unique to our continent. And it's nice to see, I think, over the years, we have seen your professional house, Coca-Cola, in some way tap into that spirit really nicely. And so sometimes we feel particularly connected. But my memories of South Africa are precisely that. It felt very, very African. Uh, it really felt like we were at home, whether it was the music, whether it was the football. There was something truly magical about 2010. And it actually inspired uh, the best of Africa. It was one of the great founding pillars because of that fraternity I saw amongst the players. Mm -hmm. um, I then was motivated to say, okay, can we recreate this year after year where we get together and we kind of forget our national hats and we just put on this Pan-African one and we bond and over food because again the food wasn't too bad in SA <laughs> the best the best well listen we're on the bra here so I wish I had Borovore steaks chops uh, some pork rashes I don't have them right now but I have my Coca-Cola um, and Brad we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you a little bit more about your role in a second but I, I'm led to believe that Lucas Khadebe is one of your heroes he's obviously a South African and Leeds icon um was a man Nelson Mandela said was his hero um, for all that he'd done on the field for Bafana um, over the years of his service. Um, why is it that you hold Lucas in, in such admiration? You know, Zane, they often say you shouldn't meet your heroes uh, because when you do, you're often underwhelmed or disappointed. Uh, with Lucas and with Rue, it was the opposite. He is such a good human. Um, and I had the privilege of working with him, right? He was a Coca-Cola ambassador for a long time. Uh, in fact, we, we had a, when I really got to see the person he was, was uh, in, in 2008, we hosted something called My Coke Fest, which is, if you remember, it was all the rock bands from around the world coming to South Africa. And it was a big, big party. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Uh, and one of the bands that we had were actually called Kaiser Chiefs. Oh. You, you, may, you may know of them. And um, it was so interesting because Kaiser Chiefs are a band from Leeds. And we were speaking, I was speaking to the, the, one of the, 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 the lead singers there around the inspiration for the name. Uh, and at the time, Rue was captain in Leeds. And they, they actually came out to the pitch, to Ellen Road at the time. And they, they had asked Lucas about calling themselves the Radebes. Uh, and he was like, no, but thank you. <laughs> maybe call it Kaiser Chiefs. And that's where their, their, their name came from. And so what was amazing was during the, the press conference, we had the bands and then we had Lucas there. It was a moment of magic having the Kaiser Chiefs on stage and Lucas together. Um, and then, you know, we worked with Lucas on a number of things, grassroots development. We ran Coca-Cola Football Stars and Copa Coca-Cola, which was all about giving access to football to the kids, not only in South Africa, but across the continent, bringing them to South Africa to play before the FIFA World Cup and the FIFA Conference mm -hmm. Cup. And you could see that Lucas uh, was so much more than just a celebrity and celebrity status. He actually took time to give back. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that's something about him that resonated for me. You know, it, it's not just talk, it's, it's walking the talk. And so huge respect for him, not only as a captain and an amazing player of Bafana Bafana, um, but just so much more as a human and, and something that I think a lot of us can look up to as a role model. Absolutely. And I'm going to flick it over to Francis in a second. But if I'm correct, Brad, you're an Orlando Pirates and Tottenham fan. 
Um, give us the backstory on that. If Francis is a Man United fan, Alistair's a long-suffering Blackburn fan, and I'm a Coventry fan. So you're, you know, you, you got... <laughs> so we're all in good company. That's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, you're you're in long-suffering company. <laughs> long-suffering. Well, Francis is short short-suffering, but the rest of us long-suffering. <laughs> so uh, I'll start with Spurs, but. Francis, you you only know a decade of hurt as a Man United fan. That's that's all I say. Come come to us when you've got 125 years of, of suffering. Spot, spot on, Alistair. Spot on. In fact, my whole my whole life. So the reason I support Spurs, they they turned South Africa in the 60s, back when they were good, or <laughs> well, at the top of the game. Uh, and my dad went out and watched them. He was a big football player, and and at the time when they they toured, he went and he watched them and. So I inherited Spurs, you know, like a lot of us do sometimes through our, our, our fathers. I inherited the love of Spurs through him. Um, it's like being in a bit of an abusive relationship because uh, you keep coming back for more, even though, uh, you know, you're not winning anything. But it's, it's, it's the joy of being a passionate, loyal fan, right? And I think, I think that's something that, that's, that's stood by me for a long time. And I, I will continue to be a Spurs fan through the highs and the lows. Uh, and I think that's... That's where you see the true fans come into being. So long-suffering, but super passionate and absolutely love everything about Spurs. Uh, and it's a fond reminder for me, you know, my dad has passed, but it's a fond reminder of some of the good times that we spent together. And again, how football as a sport and a passion can unite. Can unite. And, and Brad, who, who, tell me, this season, we're obviously recording this, you know, with Spurs high, flying high in the Premier League. Orlando Pirates having just been knocked out of the CAF Champions League, but heading into an MTN 8, uh, eight Cup final. You know, who do you think is more likely to win a, a trophy first uh, in terms of the league title? Pirates or, or, or Spurs? Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, has, he has faith, he has faith in, in them ending Mamelodi's domination. Uh, yeah, no, okay, no, I like I, that. No, I do. I, 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 it's, it's, it's probably just something that I'm accustomed to on the Spurs side more, that we're not going to win. But there's always the hope, right? And there's the believing. You know, it's it's what our, our tagline right now on, on, on our global football properties are believing is magic. And as a fan, you always have that belief. <laughs> you always have that hope that your team are going to somehow come through and win. And I would love nothing more than to see Spurs lift any trophy. It would be great. Um, but it would be great to see them definitely contest with the Man Cities of the world uh, or the Arsenals and the Liverpools at the top of the, the league. And so, so far, so good. I think Ange Ball is proving to be quite an interesting uh, era for the club. Let's see how that goes. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll reserve too much excitement till we get further down uh, and, and see if this is a sustainable start from what we've seen. But, but so far, the signals are good. Okay. I was going to say the reservation is unlike most Spurs fans I know. But <laughs> it's nice to, nice to hear. Um, I have to say... Realistic. Uh, <laughs> it's good. I have to say I'm, I'm quite taken by... Um, the story you shared with us about uh, Lucas in particular and connecting with him because of the person that he is um, and the quality of his humanity. Because uh, again, even my connection with football on a personal level is quite rooted to, I tend to like to, to like the people who are good more than maybe just the sport per se or, or the fame that they have. Um, but I wanted to go through this because um you speak of Spurs, uh, and at Spurs, uh, I've had the good fortune of working with quite a few Spurs players from Manasseh Ricotto to even Adebayor in his days at, at, at your house, or uh, quite a good number of the players. And they have this really amazing 
relationship with the club because it's not rooted in success. It really <laughs> is. I'm not saying this to be spiteful. I'm just saying it. There is something magical at Spurs, but it really is the beautiful game. It really is that sense of family, that sense of we're not here because we're going to lift a trophy. There might be hope that you could. I wanted to ask, when we look at Coca-Cola, for example, the house where you're at, um, I know success is important in most places and most American brands love success. Um, I'm intrigued by the nature of the relationship you have with football as a house and why you have this connection with football and even the Olympics to a certain extent. So maybe I'll say sports in general. What's the synergy you guys see behind the connection between uh, maybe not that particularly let's go drink and get fit drink, but this connection with sports, what is it for you? It's a great question, Francis. And I think, you know, we've been with the Olympics in LA 28. We will, we will be a hundred years with the IOC. It's the longest standing global sports partnership, uh, in, which is amazing. Right. And in football, you know, we've been, we've been around since the fifties advertising on the side of the pitches to this early seventies when we actually signed with FIFA. Um, so, so we've got a longstanding kind of DNA in, in the world of sports and it goes across not just football, but multiple sports. I think for us, it's about connecting with the occasion. It's connecting with the passion point. And we see football as something that consumers love. And so how do we get involved and connect with consumers through something they truly care about? But the key here is to do it in an authentic way and to play the long game. You know, I see a lot of brands that are in and out. For us, we understand the power of the sport. We understand that it takes a certain permissibility to be part of it and to be part of the fabric and the ecosystem. And it's not just about what you can take from it. It's also about what you can put into it. And I think that's been a big piece of our DNA in the, in the, in the, in the football world particularly is not only looking at it to your point as, you know, obviously driving the brand and driving the business through those moments of consumption while you're watching or enjoying the sport, but it goes deeper than that into what we can give back and how we can be part of the growth of the sport on all levels. Um, from grassroots development to what we've seen in the women's game now, you know, to the higher echelons of the men's teams and, and, and the sponsorships from that perspective. So it is the beautiful game. It is the world's game without a shadow of the doubt. Um, it is the most viewed, loved, watched sport in the world by far. And so there's a number of natural connections on there. But again, for me, it's, it's not just about what you can take out. It's about what you can give back, how you contribute to the ecosystem. Um, and, and from there, I think that's where you start to build the right authentic connections with the sport versus just using it as a badge value approach. No, I like that. That's good. And it's nice to hear it come from somebody like you because we can only guess that looking from the outside in. And it's really nice to know that, that these feelings are that deep and that rooted within. But speaking about like uh, building out in the game, uh, we saw your participation and support for, we just had Madam Samora uh, with us on Sunday evening and we had a long conversation about the growth of the women's game for example and in no uh, short terms did she share with us just how proud she was of the relationship she has with Coca-Cola or she, that was being forged with women's game with Coca-Cola how do you see the women's game growing I mean it'd be nice to know how you see the next maybe 20 years of the women's game do you think it would overtake the men's game 
garner maybe just that little bit more respect from the men's game, earn a little bit more money? How do you see it growing? Francis, I, I think that that the, the the women's game is is going from strength to strength. And if anything, if if the FIFA Women's World Cup this year showed us was an inflection point to just how fantastic uh, the women's sport is, uh, how competitive it is, and how you can enjoy the game just as much, if not even more in some cases, as watching a men's game. You know, I had the privilege of being in Australia and going to go watch the two semifinals and the finals, seeing the work our teams did on the ground, seeing the work FIFA did, seeing the work the other sponsors did, was heartening to see. You know, it's the first time you had 32 teams competing, uh, the prize money, while it's not where it needs to be, was increased. And so I think there's progress. And that's what gives me hope, is it's, it's, it's a continual progression of getting to where it needs. Can it get there faster? Yes. Should it get there faster? Yes. Uh, but it needed milestones like this year's FIFA Women's World Cup to, to show uh, the, the beauty of the game, the growth of the game. And it was wonderful, honestly, Francis, to be in Australia, to be watching the game, and to be coming out of the stadium and to be seeing kids, both boys and girls, wearing jerseys of their women idols. Yes. That, for me, was a, was a tipping point, right? I think for the longest time, you would have seen young kids wearing you know, their football icons, and they were 99.999% of the time men. Mm-hmm. To see so many kids coming out of the stadiums uh, wearing sh- shirts with the women's names on the back, for me, that told me that's a leading indicator of what's to come. So while, you know, you're going to see how this catches up from a leading indicator point of view, that showed that there's momentum where it needs to be. And that was exciting. I mean, in the host country itself, in Australia, the, when the Matildas played in the semi-final, that was the most watched TV event in the history of Australia. Right, it eclipsed even some of in Australia. We know is a major sports mad country with cricket and rugby. But to see the Matildas top in the list was just magical. And to see the vibe and the passion from a non-football country and then for the women's sport inside the country was just great to see. So I think it's going to go from strength to strength. I think it's going to, at some point, hopefully catch up to the men's sport in all angles, including pay and including you know, the equity piece that comes with it. We, we, we look at this game from... A- from the African perspective, in in Cameroon, we hosted uh, the women's uh, 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 Afcon, and the buzz came. There was a moment, and we felt something had really changed. There was a respectability that came with it, but it hasn't or it didn't materialize into the league structure of the game, and so it fizzled away a little bit. And my fear is unless we keep pushing this, because I'm a big advocate of the women's game. I, I think a lot of the football that we watch in the women's game is far more true to form of the football that we all maybe grew up, maybe not Alistair, but we grew up watching, where it was more about the sport. Uh, it had a lot more entertainment to it. Less of the, maybe I'm old school, the dives and the, the acting and, and all the, the football feels a little bit pure to me. Uh, but my fear is beyond these landmark moments, um, how do you as an individual, as a fan, as a person who is also maybe invested in the sport, how do you see it trickling down from these bright light moments 
to these dimmer corners, like the leagues, like the respected at, at school level, for example, where a father is okay and actually not just okay, excited enough with buying the kit that the daughter needs at six years old to be able to play the game just for fun, at least at that stage. Because I know in my country, for example, we still have these stereotypical uh, baggage that we carry with the women's game, whether it's around um, sexuality. We have these misplaced jokes and remarks about the women who choose to play the game. Um, how do you see us tackling these kind of issues? I'm sorry if it's a little bit heavy at 8 p.m. at night. No, look, Francis, I think it's a good question because... You know, I think I think it's it's a combination of factors that have to happen. On the one hand, is you, you need big milestones like a FIFA Women's World Cup that has the reach, the viewability, and almost the um, permissibility to see. Wow, look at these these women on the world stage playing incredible football, uh, where millions and billions, actually over two billion people, tuning in to watch. So you need that. In some cases, you need that little bit of, of a milestone moment to, to generate that. Th that's the one end of the, the spectrum. I think on the other end of the spectrum, I think it's about allyship in whatever, whatever component that comes from. And, you know, we ran a DEI summit during the FIFA Women's World Cup where we actually called it Level the Playing Field. And it wasn't about changing the game, but about changing and leveling the playing field. And so whether it's women's football in certain countries or it's gender equality in the workplace or it's physical or mental abilities that come with it or disabilities, it was all about trying to level the playing field and how we can be allies in that moment. And I think that's the small steps that those of us that can should be taking. So on the one hand, you have the pool factors with the big events, the big moments happening. And then I think you need the push factors, the everyday things that are going on where you can actually become allies to that. Uh, and I think it's, it's a combination of those. It's, it's baby steps and big steps uh, in parallel uh, that will hopefully start to change stereotypes and, and move the needle forward. And some markets or some countries is going to happen quicker than others. I think that is what it is. Um, but we have to make sure that we're not giving up, we're progressing. And even if it's small progress, at least it's progress um, that we have to be looking at. And I think for all of us, how can we be allies to that is a question that, you know, we left Australia having and posed to each of us. And I'll pose it to you guys too, is, you know, you know, in your positions that you have, how can you be allies for whatever it is that we're trying to build? And whether it is women's football or other DE&I initiatives, I think that's a question that, you know, we'll put onto the table for all of us to take forward as potential allies. He's, 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 he's flipped the script, guys. He's, he's turned into the interviewer. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to pass the ball to Ali to save the day. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, think, I think, Brad, what you're saying is really interesting in terms of those inflection points and what they allow us to talk about. I mean, we had a similar thing in a smaller context with the Women's AFCON last year, where I, I went to and covered it for the podcast as well as as a freelancer and seeing the amount of interest that was kind of drummed up, you know, especially from a South African perspective, seeing Banyana Banyana win. And, you know, we were lucky enough to speak to Tembi Hadlana and, and Desiree Ellis before the tournament and, and things like that. And, and, you know, I've kept up, you know, we've interviewed Desiree a few times now. Um, but yeah, and I thought it was really interesting kind of trying to build that momentum from just the women's AFCON and being like, how can we 
cover women's football in a more sustainable way from our perspective is kind of a media outlet and and in, in a way that kind of yeah sustains that energy and that kind of passion that spikes so highly at the world cup you know we're talking a lot about about the world cups you know your experience in 2010 and, and the women's world cup it, uh, this year but this has also been a very big week in terms of men's world's cups in terms of the news um you know obviously we, we've we've seen that um the the world cup in 2020 20, 30 is not only going to be awarded to kind of Spain, Portugal, Morocco, but also the first three games will be played in Uruguay, Paraguay, and Argentina. Um, and likely 2034 might go to Saudi Arabia. It's not as confirmed. But, you know, from your perspective, I just want to hear what are your initial thoughts on that 2030 World Cup from a Coke perspective? Like, how do you respond to that? You know, World Cups have never been more than, you know, one or two countries hosting at major tournaments, aside from kind of the Euros gone. And suddenly you've got not just two countries you've got three countries uh you've got six countries and three continents you know what what how do you respond to that as as someone who works with a company that is so you know intertwined with with the world cup <laughs> so i i'm smiling because i'm thinking of two two folks on my team uh, someone who leads operations and someone who leads marketing <laughs> so the operations person is like oh my gosh now we got to do this over you know three continents six countries like so the operations gear kicks in how do we how do we do this but on the marketing side, I think it's reflective of where the game is going. It, it is the world's game. I love the fact that they're rotating the confederations now. I love the fact that because it's the centennial FIFA World Cup, they're going back to the roots and where it really started. So having it in Uruguay, um, you know, I was at the stadium last year where the very first FIFA World Cup kicked off. And it was just, you walk in there and it's hallowed ground. You just feel it. You know, it was my first time in Uruguay. I'm not Uruguayan whatsoever. But you just walk in there and you're like, there is history here. So there's a beauty in that, that FIFA are actually taking one of the games to where it kicked off and where it all started. I think that's amazing. And then, you know, I'm, I'm going to sound very biased here, but the fact that it's coming back to Africa and you have Morocco on the table. Is I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I think Morocco can now, you know, take what South Africa did and take it to the next level in 2030. So that's, that's amazing, you know. And so I think that... We're going to see how a three-country FIFA World Cup plays out in 2026 with the US, Canada, and Mexico. We're starting to obviously put a lot of planning into it. We've got our team structure set up, and we're thinking about that one. The next one is going to be uh, another one to, to get our head around. I mean, the reality is it's, it's three games in South America. So it's, I think it's going to be more challenging for FIFA, to be honest, in terms of those teams that are going to play there. How, how do they get them there? Then they play mm -hmm. like what the first games, then they then they come back to base camp where Morocco or Spain or Portugal. But where's the teams that haven't had to play down there? So there, there's going to be a little bit of like how do we figure this out? But on paper, I think it, it's it's great. I think it's fun. It's innovative. It's new. It's different. Um, and I think it's 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 fantastic that they're doing that. And then 30, 34, as you said, it's going to rotate, and it's really between AFC and OFC to then put forward their, their member federations that want to, you know, bid for it. Um, and we'll see how that one plays out. But it's nice to see the game being rotated across confederations to give them all opportunities to be part of it. So 100%. I'm quite excited. I mean, it's still a way to go and we've got to get, and 26 is just going to be massive. But I'm excited that, you know, we already know where it is, who's the hosts and starting to think about that too. And then again, coming home to Africa, Morocco, love that. Absolutely love that. 
like you said, the operations guys, they can figure out the kind of difficult details. That's, that's, that's for them to decide, you know, <laughs> the, the, the other thing I wanted to speak to you about, you're talking, you know, how important it is to bring kind of the world cup to every quarter of the, of the world. And, you know, we, we think that's so important. And again, can't wait for, you know, that, that world cup coming to Morocco. But one of the things that I've always found kind of interesting and particularly from perspective, you know, having grown up in Kenya and kind of a quote unquote, I guess, fringe country when it comes to football and then moving to the UK kind of in many senses, the heart of, of where football is both, you know, historically and in the present. One of the things that's always struck me a bit strange and with that cope do with the world cup is the, is the trophy tour. And I, I kind of wanted to get your, your read on it in terms of kind of what is, what is it, but then also what is the kind of, underlying purpose of why coke does that and why you guys take the trophy kind of all around the world do you want to tell us a bit more about that yeah absolutely and and i actually had the privilege of leading the trophy tour in the 2013 2014 edition so really it goes back we started this in 2006 so this was before my time this was somebody else's great idea not mine i wish i could take credit for it but i can't but the fifa world cup is probably the most notable and the biggest signal of world sports i think it's the most symbolic trophy that there is i mean i don't think any other trophy in the world com com can compare and so at the time both fifa and coca-cola decided you know can we take this trophy and give people around the world they would not necessarily have the opportunity to see it the opportunity to see it and it's grown ever since then and so between coke and fifa in 2006 the idea was how do we take the trophy to all the federations around the world and that was a pipe dream at the time i mean if you think about it you're taking this trophy to 200 plus federations around the world and how do you even do that and so the first one in 2006 uh it went to 26 countries um it was you know we used a commercial airline to do it which was quite a mission as you can imagine and you got carnets and all of that that's playing into the mix and then 2010 came around and we had an idea back to the beginning of this conversation where we said this was actually Africa's World Cup, not South Africa's World Cup. So, well, wouldn't it be cool to take the trophy to every country in Africa? And we went for it. And we got to 52 of the 54 countries across Africa. Amazing. And you see there, Alistair, why you do it. The passion, the experience. You see these youngsters coming out and the glint in their eyes. Uh, and that's no matter which country in the world you're in. You know, but you see the glint in their eyes and you see this hope and belief that someday, somehow, they could potentially be one of those people holding up that trophy. Because only winners or sitting heads of state can actually pick up the trophy and touch the trophy. So, uh, you know, unless you salt B and he, he jumps onto the pitch <laughs> yeah, after the <laughs> after, after the Qatar FIFA World Cup. But other than that, that's kind of the protocol, right? Um, so it's just incredible, Alistair, to be able to do that. And then, you know, through the business lens, you know, the Trophy Tour gives us, it's massive employee engagement, you know. So from an, an employee perspective, it's, it's huge. From a consumer perspective, giving hundreds of thousands of people every time we do it, the opportunity to see it, have their photo with it, with their friends, with their family, whoever they're supporting next to the trophy, you know, having that with it is amazing. It gives us the opportunities to connect with the local constituents with the football federations, we work very closely to make this happen. Um, so it's, it really is, I think, a shared partnership between ourselves, FIFA, and then the federations around the world. And it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a give back uh, where we can. And then it's also about leaving a legacy afterwards in terms of what, we, what we've achieved with it. So 
it, it, it's an amazing asset. It's an amazing part of our partnership with FIFA. And the year I did it, we took it to 90 countries. So to be able to get to 90 countries with the trophy, you know, all over the world. Um, and again, even though you couldn't speak the language in, in half of them, the universal language of football was there. And it was amazing to see that manifest itself through something uh, like the FIFA World Cup trophy to by Coca-Cola. Hmm. And I love that you're talking about kind of local constituencies, because this brings me to my, my last question. Probably my most serious question is, can you can you have a word with the Coke team here in the UK to try and get some of that Coke and the Coke products from Kenya? And I'm sure the same from South Africa over here to the UK, because I'm sick and tired of kind of British Coke and Fanta when I want my Fanta Black Current, my Fanta Passion and some proper Fanta Orange in a glass bottle to have here in the UK because I miss it so much. You know, is, do you do you have that capacity to, to, to make that happen? I may need to put you on a on a on a focus group with the team there. And, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come and swinging with my opinions. Don't I'll worry. I'll, I'll, I'll connect you with our GB team. And uh, I think you can put all the questions on the table. And, uh, hey, Excellent. This is what I'm looking for. So you can be part of the, the, the innovation pipeline. Excellent. <laughs> Brad, thank you so much for joining the pod. I've taken you past an additional time into extra time, into Francis time, into Fergie time, into Pens and beyond. But And now you're in Spurs time. <laughs> Don't get Spursy on me. But I had two things to say. One, I remember in 1994, I won't say every kid in South Africa, but every fifth kid had the red soccer balls that, that went out and they were so coveted, those little ones. I remember them in 94. Uh, playing with them and anyone who had those were like the envy um, and the trophy tour is a concept and I've seen you guys do it with uh, the football world cup I've seen rugby do it with their partners and when you go out to communities that just don't get the opportunity to, to get near this trophy I really you know I'm not here to do your PR for you but it really is something to see the excitement that you get by getting close to that trophy and um, I don't know if I'm planting a seed here, but ahead of the amazing World Cup we're going to see in the US, Canada, and Mexico, maybe we could get part of the trophy tour to swing by Francis's Best of Africa event, where we could have it there with all those, um, you know, high flyers in there. Brad, I've no doubt you would love to come to this event to hobnob with uh, the best and brightest of. African football, uh, celebrities, arts, all those things. Who knows? We might get Burner Boy there if we have the trophy. Um, but um, but just there we go. You've got you've got the seed. Take take it. Think about it, and maybe we'll get there in a few years. But thank you so much for being generous with your time. We've learned so much. We wish you well. And um, I know we've got a bumper World Cup coming up in North America and Mexico. So hopefully we'll get you on in the build up to that too. No, it was a pleasure, Zane, uh, Alistair, and Francis. Great to meet you guys. Great to have a good chat over the braai, over the proverbial braai, and hopefully we'll be able to do it in person one day versus oh, just on a, on a pod. <laughs> but thank you for the opportunity. It's been great. Awesome to chat to you all. No worries. And for those of you listening out there, please leave a rating. Please leave a review. It helps people find the show. It makes Francis feel good. And, um, you know, let us know what you think about our new Unofficial sponsors. Hopefully the gas came out there. Not a I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, I've been drinking it. But <laughs> tell you guys, and um, we will see you soon.